Welcome to the Must Love Self podcast. My name is Carly Israel and I am your host. What is Must Love Self all about? It's about our bodies, our worth, and our voices. It is a movement, an attitude, it is a decision, it is a project, it is a journey, it is a life choice. Every week I get to interview a brave woman who may not be perfect, but is on the path and is willing to share their ugly and their beautiful. Okay, I am on with Melissa McDonald. Melissa, will you introduce yourself to all of us? Absolutely. So I am a sports chiropractor here in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. I have certifications both nationally and internationally, and I predominantly work with women and non-binary athletes in the sports that they want. I did two years of specialty training in focusing on injury patterns and injury prevention of these populations. And I currently work with three teams, the Minnesota, Minnesota Pride, a professional women's football team, Minnesota Roller Derby, which is an all-inclusive roller derby team here in St. Paul, and River City Rhythms, which is a drum corps international marching band. That is so cool. I want all your women on this because I am imagining that they're all warriors and amazing humans, and we need their voices and stories hold to help us define what women can be and can do. So I'm so excited to have you here. And before we get into it, I want to acknowledge something that some of my listeners have said to me, they said, Carly, is must love self only about body stuff? And I said, absolutely not. But I do think predominantly I hear women talking about body stuff more openly than saying, hey, I'm having a hard time with my worth. Hey, I'm having a hard time using my voice. It's more acceptable in our society to hate your body than it is to admit I'm not okay with myself inside. And so must love self is about all of that. I think that what brings a lot of us to the table is that first discussion, but I know we're going to get into more than that. Oh, I completely agree with that. It's a lot of times we focus on the external appearances of our body because that is what society has gauged as what is worth of a woman. When you look at marketing, when you look at what's expected of us, how we have to appear to be professional, it all comes back to our appearance and basing our worth off of our appearance, which is why it's a good place to start to focus on. Right. I'm so excited. And I, of course, I never know who I'm going to talk to when I'm about to talk, which is why I love this because I, if there wasn't a pandemic and we were at a party, which I would never be at, I would have been like, please don't have small talk with me because I don't like it but this is not small talk. This is real talk. And so when we get to meet each other face to face over zoom and find out like who we are, I immediately was like, Oh, you're a sports chiropractor. Please let's discuss my metatarsals that are constantly breaking. (laughs) And you know, listeners, that's because I started having an eating disorder at nine and I was actively physically having an eating disorder until I was 21. And then I restricted and over-exercised and was mean to myself until about two years ago. So of course, the sports chiropractor is going to be like, lady, you're in trouble, right? A little bit, a little bit. So what you were dealing with was something called reduced energy deficiency in sport. Now, it 
it says in sport, it doesn't have to be sport-based. It's just really common in athletes that are weight restricted and women athletes suffer from it more often because there's so many times that our appearance dictates our sport performance, which is asinine. <laughs> I remember talking with collegiate athletes who had male coaches who would weigh them before each practice. And if they had gained too much weight, they would lose their starting position. And the level of rage that I had for that type of behavior was ridiculous because when it comes to how we need to perform, our performance is based on how quickly we recover. And if we don't have the building blocks from our nutrition to recover, we're just going to keep repetitively building up injuries. And the longer we stay in that deficit, the more problems we're going to develop to the point that Yes, at a young age, you can develop osteoporosis and osteopenia, and you can have chronic stress fractures, and you can have anxiety, and you can have depression, and you can have just overall fatigue, lack of like that lack of energy where you just can't do what you want to do. Then you lose focus. You're not able to compete at the same levels. But even if you're not in sport, think of how that affects you just in your everyday life. You get to your desk, you can't focus, you can't do the work you're doing. You're having just consistent chronic pain. So the biggest thing I think that my women athletes don't realize is our body needs a lot of food to do what it needs to do and be successful at the tasks. And society has made us unrealistic at what our performance should look like in appearances. So like I'm what my husband has called a sturdy gal. And <laughs> I am, I own, I own that word because one, I'm a power lifter and I am actually working towards a thousand pounds. So my- Wow, bench... wait, pause. <laughs> Can we just take a breath? A thousand pounds. I, yeah, so I, I want my bench, my deadlift, and my squat to add together to equal a thousand pounds. That's amazing. I'm at 635 right now. So I'm I'm getting there. But to do that, I have to have some mass behind me to move that type of weight. So yeah, I'm 5'8 and I'm 215. And when you look at the BMI scale, oh my God, I'm considered I hate obese. that I hate that scale. I want that scale to die. The like scale all scales. needs to burn, yes. <laughs> but no, the, the BMI scale is such a joke. Even within the medical field, we hate it. It was initially designed as a mathematical theoretical problem based on straight white men, which of course then gets plopped onto all of us. And we all know how well they represent um, anyone else. <laughs> then it was picked up by insurance companies because it was a quick, easy way to go, you get charged a higher rate. There's no medical understanding because when you look at, let's say Olympic or uh, like the Arnold classic bodybuilders that have zero fat, great. Guess what? Their BMI is probably a 38 because they have so much muscle packed onto their frame that they are considered morbidly obese. That's shocking. It, it is such a disaster space. So when I look at the BMI scale and it, it becomes a problem with fat phobia in the medical community where they look at someone, they look at their BMI and they automatically go, oh, whatever problem you're having, oh, you're having lower abdominal pain. It'll get better if you lose weight. 
oh, you're having carpal tunnel syndrome. It'll get better if you lose weight. Well, there's been so many cases of people going, look, I lost the weight. They did the exam and they found endometriosis and I had such bad adhesions and scarring. I lost my uterus. I lost my ovaries. I lost part of my intestine or I was having such bad lower abdominal pain and the OBGYN was like, well, since it's making you nauseous and helping you not eat, that's probably a good thing. And they found that they had a massive tumor. Like, oh my God, there's massive fat phobia. And I'm not saying that like, okay, if you are so overweight that you can't do what you want, you can't get out of bed, you can't go for walks, you can't play with your kids. That's a different type of obesity. What I'm talking about is like, I'm considered obese at, I think, a BMI of 31, but I can absolutely do everything I want. I can move heavy weights. I can lift and I'm proud. Am I a size four? God, no. <laughs> God, no. But you know what? I'm okay with that. I am still hot, sexy, and can do whatever I want with my body. And that's, that's empowerment is, is when you embrace it. I have gray hair. I have curly disaster, whatever. I, I started going gray when I was in ele like 11 years old. I got bifocals, <laughs> gray hair, and braces. <laughs> I was doomed from the start. But it's one of those things that when we start to actually embrace how powerful our bodies are at their strongest points, that's when we really get acceptance. I love that so much. You know, there's a word you said that I want to go back to. And you said the word unrealistic. And I think that that is a great umbrella to cover what our society has placed upon women, what media has placed upon women. You know, you were mentioning because that's your business, your world is athletes. I, when I look at what I used to allow myself, and I, I use the word allow myself to eat when I was a runner, like when I was competitively running, when I was running daily, ridiculous amount of running. I don't know how I didn't constantly break things. I mean, I, I did, I was a stress fracture queen. And so that what, you know, I grew up in the time of snack wells and fat free and everything's gotta be fat free and you have to eat nothing. And that anxiety that comes with this unrealistic expectation of what we can do versus what, how we need to look is so scary. So I'm so excited to get into this with you. First question is why did you say yes to this conversation? Because I like having hard conversations. Me too. I like promoting the thought process of just because Instagram looks one way, understand that you can look that way too with enough Photoshop. <laughs> True. But no, I love having hard conversations and talking about how to make women stronger, how to make women more active, how to push women out of their comfort zones is something I'm passionate about because society has really put a cap on what they perceive as acceptable women's performance. And this comes up in sports when you have athletes like Castor Semena. She's a South African middle distance runner. So if you're not into track and field, you're probably like, oh my God, Dr. Mack, who are, who are you talking about? Well, she's a South African runner. She has won gold medal after gold medal. She has a known condition where it's called hyperandrogen syndrome. 
her body actually excessively produces testosterone, making her a phenomenal beast of an athlete. But she gets accused of cheating because the other women feel it's unfair because her body has natural uh, higher levels of testosterone, which infuriates me. She is the best of the best. But yet when you look at male uh, men that are the best of the best that have genetic conditions, like Michael Phelps, hmm. who doesn't produce the same amount of lactic acid as the ever average person is praised for his success. So women's performance is really capped at what people perceive as that. Well, that's strong enough for a girl. Oh, you, you're too strong. You must be cheating. We need to stop that. We need to just excel and be the best of the best. And it really just comes down to some of the language we use. Mm. We always have to caveat things. Like if you look up the most winningest tennis player in the world, you're going to get whatever the male uh, Fedorov, I think. But yet, if you look up Serena Williams, she's actually won more. But you can't look that up unless you put most winningness women or female tennis player. That's so upsetting. That's so upsetting. I'm going to have oh. a, I'm going to have a tanty right now. <laughs> I have a question for you. Yes. One thing I want to address is that I want us to stop being embarrassed or ashamed about our age. How old are you? I am 33. And have you ever been around women or have felt yourself that you don't want to talk about your age? Never. I don't care. I mean, I've already said my weight on the podcast, but do you ever hear <laughs> women that are like that? And if you do, like, what do you think is the reason? Like, what is your idea behind why women might want to not be honest about their age? Oh, I absolutely. I mean, I have family members that fall into this category. It really, I think it comes down to, uh, gender roles and gender expectations and gender stereotypes in our culture. And right now, being in your early twenties is kind of the ideal perceived gender stereotype that our society has decided is the best because you can see that promoted in all our movies. You'll have a 50 something late forties, 50 something male paired with a early 20 something co-star. And you see that over and over again, where you don't have the pairing of, okay, we have two equally aged co-stars. That's a special and, movie. Like that's a special movie about how like he's settling for someone. He's finally going after someone that's appropriate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it, it's completely societal. It's fed into our brain time and time again with the media. Anytime someone is older, they're always Photoshopped or airbrushed or they've had so much work done to be perceived as younger than what they are. So that it's like, oh, look at how long, look at how good, look at how young she looks. Well, of course, women who have gotten older are going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm ashamed. For me, I let my hair, I, I used to color my hair, avidly colored my hair all through high school, all through college. And recently within the last two years, I stopped coloring my hair and just let it go completely gray and natural. And people are like, oh, you're going to look older. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to look older. No one wants to see a doctor that's in their <sighs> late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, I'm going to look and give them a perception that I'm older because it's going to help my credibility. You know how mad it makes me to think that 
we want to pretend we are not older, which here's the deal. I'm 42. I would not go back to being 22 for all the money in the world. I was a total mess when I was 22. I didn't know who I was. I had no voice. I didn't love myself. I hated my body. I couldn't speak up for myself. I had no idea what I even liked. And so why don't we want to own where we are and who we are? And, and I'm just so glad that that's where you are. And I want to get a scale of that with you right now. I want you to give me these three categories. And I want you to tell me what your score would be between one and 10. One is the worst, 10 is the best. Where you are today and then the lowest you've ever been. I'm sure yours today is very high because you're just fabulous. Where are you today in your image of your own body? Okay. Image of my own body. I would say I'm an eight. That's awesome. What makes I, you not a 10? You know, there, I still have some things that I don't necessarily like what I see in the mirror. And some of it has to do with the fact that 2020 <laughs> was 2020 and I wasn't as active as I wanted to be. So I'm more mad at how much physical fitness I lost and then how that affected my body and how I perceive my image, but I'm, I'm getting back into and finding a healthy place. So I give myself an eight. I like that distinction because you're not saying you don't like how your body looks. You're saying specifically, I know that as an athlete and as a woman, I could be at this level because when I work hard, this is where I get. And now I'm seeing how much ground I've missed. I want to just ask you a side note. Why do you think so many of us packed on the, the pandemic pounds or stopped taking care of ourselves? during this time. What about this? I mean, let's be real. There's so much about this. that's all over the place, but what do you think specifically is going on there that we all got to this place where we're like, we're not going to take care of our bodies. So I think it started off with, we all had to work from home and we didn't have to leave. We didn't have to be seen by other people and we were isolated. And most of us set up our home workspace 2.5 seconds away from our kitchen. And when we're at home and we're bored, and it's probably something even now, if you're still working from home, a lot of times you'll be like, oh, I'm going to take 10 seconds, 10 minutes, and just take a little break. You go to the kitchen and you get a snack. And that subconscious snacking that you normally wouldn't do in the office starts to add calories that you may not even consciously be realizing you're putting in. On top of that, this was an unprecedented mind screw. Yeah, like, this is, you can swear here. It was a okay. mind fuck. Yeah. Mind fuck. It was yeah. a mind fuck. I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a mind fuck. We had never been in a situation like this before. We had never seen the entire world shut down and the unknowns. We had no idea how many people were going to die what the type of disease. And we're still sussing out the nuances of that. And that type of stress and anxiety, you just get to the psychological point where your body's like, I'm burned out. I'm just hanging on by a fingernail. I'm just going to do the bare minimum I have to, to get by with what's going on. And even I, as a health, a healthcare provider, a conservative health and wellness provider went, 
I can't, I can't even cope with this, with the other things that are going on. I am going to do what I have to do to get by. And that did not include taking care of myself at that time, it's which so is where interesting. I'm trying to play catch yeah. up. I, you know, in permission to be human for all of us who planned any of this, right? I mean, I know that for me, there were areas of my life that really fell down. You know, my creativity was just nothing. The first couple of months, my brain was like, you have all this extra time. And then all the shoulds came. You should be doing this. You should, you should be creating programs. You should be doing this. And I, I was like, I just want to watch The Bachelor. Like I don't, between like CNN and like stupid TV, it was all I could handle. Between like watching emergency rooms and it was just so much. So I think we all need to give ourselves permission to acknowledge that this has been a really hard time and we're all doing our best, which is basically what must love self is about for me. I want to know what your lowest number has ever been for your body image. Oh, I'm probably going to have to give it a two. I hated myself. When? Oh, I would say high school, early twenties, college, which is so funny because it was when I was my thinnest (laughs) perceived prettiest. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to get this fat again. And it's like, I weigh a lot more than that now, but it was just, I, everyone was judging you. You were always like, okay, I have to wear this much makeup. My hair has to be done. I couldn't just walk out the door without makeup on, without feeling comfortable. And now I'm in my thirties and I'm like, oh, wait, is this going to be a video recording? Do I have to put on makeup? <laughs> do, do I have to? No. Oh, it's no video? Okay, no makeup. Wait, but did you know that Zoom lets you put on lipstick and eyebrows? Yes, yes. I'm wearing Zoom lipstick and Zoom eyebrows. That's good to know. It's exciting to know. But besides <laughs> that, what's so sad about what you're saying, and I can, and I can agree with so much, is it's all about that approval from the outside whether it's our body, whether it's how we look, whether it's how we're doing, whether it's what we're achieving, and then the judgment. And when we're younger, we don't have the ability to understand it's not our business, what anyone else thinks of us and who cares, right? Like you'll love, I have this beautiful sign that I saw a quote in a meme and I loved it so much. Behold the fields in which I grow my fucks, lay thine eyes upon it and see that it is barren because I just don't have any time anymore. Yeah. I think as we get older, we actually start to appreciate the fact that, oh, everybody is so inside each other's heads that no one actually cares about what's going on with another person at all. No fucks are given anywhere else, but we're so concerned with other people's fucks that they don't have. We're brutalizing ourselves. So it's that acceptance. Again, this is something I try to shift the mind in my athletes and my patients is, It's not about the number on the scale. It's about how you feel and are you able to perform and do what you need to do in that perform, whatever that performance is. Is it going out and getting on the derby uh, track? Is it going in the backyard and playing catch with your kids? I don't care what your event is, but you need to be able to do it. You need to be able to do it pain-free and feel good while doing it. And that, that is more important to me than a number on a scale. Like I just had an athlete come in and they were like, Oh, I'm feeling so much better. I feel like I've lost blah, blah, blah. Wait, they got on the scale and they were like, I've gained 10 pounds. And I'm like, <laughs> so right. Muscle weighs more than fat. Are your clothes fitting better? Are you able to do this, this, and this? Yeah. Ignore that. Yeah. Who cares? 
about yeah. that number. I got rid of my scale because it made it never made my the person I was working with. She said, "Has it ever made you happy?" I said, zero times. I've never felt happy when I stepped on that." I love. Uh, I we're gonna get back to what you were saying about hating yourself and, and the switch that you had in that. I want you to rate your current worth of yourself. What you know your worth is. Ooh, that that's a question. I'm gonna give myself a seven. I I am struggling with some of these components because I, I am still frustrated with the lack of things that I didn't do in 2020 and how that has affected my business, how that has affected stuff around the house. I had these projects that I wanted to get done and I just, I'm struggling I'm doing better now, but oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a seven. So there's an inner voice. That's like, what, why didn't you use this time better? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I know you know this all, but what would you tell me if I told you that? Oh, I would tell you the same thing that I have written on my mirror (laughs) to try to make myself better, which is you just went through a global pandemic. Your business came out the other side. You're healthy. Your family's healthy. Right. Get over yourself. Did you have to say goodbye to anyone that you love on FaceTime while they're in the ICU dying? No. Right. Yeah. I I, mean, we never went through that. Uh, we both, my husband and I did have COVID. Same. Uh, he had it a lot worse than me. He towed the line of almost being admitted for about a week. And it was a very, very scary situation. And since he's a strength and conditioning coach, the thought process of him being in that position was just mind boggling. And all the fear and all the future fear. And oh my goodness, what is this going to mean? So this is a perfect example of how we are so unrealistic with ourselves about what we're supposed to be doing. Right. I am my worst area with this consistently is my medical stuff. So I have a chronic medical condition And I didn't choose that condition. It's just part of my life. Is it worse than other people's? No, there are people that have way worse medical conditions. But when I don't feel well, instead of just not feeling well and taking care of myself, I don't feel well. I take care of myself and I am upset with myself like you are. Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Like a nagging, annoying beast that's inside of me that's just not kind, right? Yep. And what's it going to do? Like, can you go back a year and say, I'd like to redo this? I mean, who can't, I feel like we all need to be like, I am doing the best I can. I mean, that's what I say to my kids all the time. This is my best. This is my best right now. It it is the, and and that should be good enough. And it's so hard because we all have those voices in our head that just kind of keep coming up. (laughs) It's true. But so that's why I give myself worth a seven. I'm working on it. It's doing better, but I still have moments where I'm utterly frustrated and I just, you know, have to have a good cry about it. And permission to be human. Is there any part of you that believes a lie that you could have done more based on what you actually went through? Oh, this is something I'm just, I want to say, yeah, I'll have those moments where I just sit down and I'm like, I could have done this. I could have done this. I couldn't have let this get as far behind as it is. And yet I look at what we went through and went, be nice. Yeah. Come on. Right. Really? 
Right. I mean, me and you both know we would say that to anybody else. It's that's the whole thing about must love self is we are capable of being kind to anyone else, but that's where the real thing is right here. That's why I do this is to our worth, like what's underneath it, because I can behave outwardly, but what am I doing inwardly? And you know what? Sometimes I need to just do nothing. Sometimes I have absolutely no drive, no interest in anything other than like watching something stupid and chilling with my people. Like, and I'm allowed to do that because if we don't do that, we're going to, as you know, as a, we're going to burn out, right? You can't just go, 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 go. Well, our societally, it's, it's been promoted that you have to work. You have to be the first one in last one out. You have to work. If you don't give everything to the company, they're, they're going to get rid of you. And there's just this societal approval of burnout versus when you actually take the time for yourself, it's almost perceived as selfish. Yes. And that is, that is a truly American notion because there are other countries that have this. They take holidays. So they take much. a month, yeah. a whole month. Could you imagine Americans taking a month? We would be called lazy. Yeah. Right. Right. You'd be if you, if you, I said, I'm taking August off. You'd be like, Carly, you're lazy. Right. But you're so right. And you know what you said? You said, we're afraid that they're going to get rid of us. And that is about worth. It's not acknowledging that we know where we are. My last question for this scoring is, what would you rate your ability to use your voice to advocate for yourself? Oh, I'm going to give myself a 10. Awesome. Because uh, when I have a number of things that have come up and I've had to just have moments with people. One, I have dyslexia. I have ADHD. And the only reason why I don't think I was diagnosed as autistic when I was younger is because I'm a woman. And that's a whole nother discussion, but I can't spell to save my life. If I don't have spell check, good luck. And I have some weird idiosyncrasies with my writing where I may spell the word correctly, but it's the wrong word in the sentence. And I have had people call me an idiot, call me stupid. Uh, my first grade teacher told my parents that I would be lucky to make it out of high school and that they shouldn't expect me to ever get above C's. Needless to say, my parents advocated for me at that point, and I was in a different school the next day. But it was one of those things that because they let they taught me how to advocate for myself, I learned how to push. And now I've been called bossy. I've been called bitchy. I've been called, I have been told I have bad soft skills, which I frankly look at them and I'm like, do I have bad soft skills or did I just tell you something you didn't want to hear? Oh my God. I love that. Pause. Say it again. Did I say something you didn't want to hear or do I have bad soft? Like get over things. It's so frustrating that as a woman, if I have a strong voice that says things that disagrees with what's going on, and it's right, especially if it's right. I am the bitchy, bossy person. And you know what? I am. Damn it. I own those words. Don't ask me for my opinion and expect not to get it. I love that so much. You know, I, so I'm sober 22 years and I work with women all over the place and I help them basically up the hell hill. Like I, 
I'm like the Sherpa of their life. And while it's not my work, it's their work. I tell them the truth. And it's the same thing with my coaching clients, whether it's through the divorce or through, you know, finding their self and loving themselves. I'll get people saying this to me as they're leaving. You're, you know, I just need someone that's going to be like more gentle. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like everyone needs different things. But the truth is if you're dying and I'm throwing you a life preserver, you can't tell me you don't like the way I threw it. If you're drowning, you grab it. Right. And so I love how you just put that into words so well. Like if as a woman, if I have a strong voice, I'm considered bitchy. There's a meme that I love where it's two women in an office setting and their desks are like back to back and they're turning around with their one, they're over their shoulder. And one says the other one, they said, do you know the difference between aggressive and assertive? And the other woman says your gender. I posted that and it got so many comments back and forth of argument. Nowhere in that does it say anything about men at all. But all these men were offended that I was being stereotypical about men. And I was like, this, this is two women talking and women do it too, right? We call each other bitchy or bossy. Oh, it's so bad, but it's true. It is true. A man would be said, oh, you're assertive. You're taking control. You're being a leader. Yes. I've oh. never been called a leader. Me as a woman, mm, you're, you're nagging and aggressive kind of being and bossy. Yeah. And that intensity needs to be brought down a little bit, but yet every time we get allowed to the table, we're expected to sit there quietly because we should just be happy. We're at the table. Fuck that. Yes. If I'm going to be at the table. You're going to know I'm there. I love that so much. I want to go back to your childhood where this awesomeness came from. Can you tell me what you saw around you as what a woman should or shouldn't behave like, be like, dress like, act like? What did you see when you were growing up? Well, that's so complicated because I will say that I probably have a personality type more like my father. And this is why I think I'm on the spectrum because I just... I never gave a shit about anything. Mm -hmm. I, when I hit my teenage years and puberty and the pressure mainly coming from my mother, just, oh, you're not wearing. That's what I wanted to know about. Tell me you're not you wearing your makeup. Why don't you wear makeup? Why don't you look more pretty? Like, and I'm just like, why, why do I have to do that? And it was always just that frustration of more or less, the more people told me I couldn't do something, the more I wanted to do it. Yeah, no, growing up, my, I mean, my parents don't like my husband because he's not what they perceive was going to be best for me. He's not a lawyer. He's not a financial advisor. He's not a doctor. So he is supported by my income. And literally before we got married, my parents sat me down. They're like, Melissa, are you sure you want to marry a man that you're going to have to support? Isn't that going to get annoying after a while and taxing? And I went, Oh, dad, have you ever gotten annoyed by mom living <laughs> off your income? They didn't like that. I, I don't know why. That but question is never asked to a man ever. No. So I have my husband. He does all the cooking, the cleaning, the laundry. He is the equivalent of my wife. And that's totally cool. Where I own my own business. I teach at a university. Like I'm busy. I don't have time to do the homemaking. We don't have children because I don't want children. And you know what? That's okay. 
it's it's these preconceived gender norms and when we buck them oh god it throws people into a tizzy but what i say i had that quintessential like just guide that was like this is how you have to be maybe uh I, i'm gonna say yes but it's it didn't come from a woman it actually it came from my uncle ricky he had spina bifida and was a very severe case. He was in a wheelchair his whole life and wasn't supposed to live to the age of three, much less make it to 36. And when I was growing up, he was my babysitter because both my parents had to go back to work when I was born. And he lived by himself. He drove, he did everything. And the more people said, you can't do this. He more or less gave them the middle finger and went and did it. And there were, I think I was like three and there was a picture of us at the mall. And I'm like, mom, you keep kind of bringing up like the mall that we went to is dangerous. How did you trust me with, you know, this man in a wheelchair, this disabled man in a wheelchair, taking me to the, <laughs> to the mall to go watch movies when I was like three and four. And she's like, Oh, he had three or four guns on his wheelchair. No one was touching you. And I'm like, ah, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> but that was who I grew up with looking at was someone who was told you're not going to live to the age of three. And he more or less gave them the middle finger and made it to 36 and did everything independently. And I went, I have both my legs fully functioning. Maybe I didn't learn how to read until I was 13, but there's no reason I can't do everything I want if I work hard enough to do it. And no one's going to tell me what I have to be. Cause I'm going to do whatever the, I goddamn please. That makes me so sad in terms of, I know that people must've looked at you guys and looked at him his whole life with pity and judgment and placed him and anyone that to the outside appearance seems disabled, seems not regular or whatever ridiculous idea they have. And that they just are written off as you can't. And I love so much that he was like, fuck you and watch me. It, it's one of the worst parts about an ableist viewpoint of how society has looked at things and judged things on what we can and can't do based on just being able. That's the thing people get caught up in. They get caught up in the idea of what someone else is successful at and not what they're successful at. I love that so much. One of the things I work with my clients the most on is that we get to define success for us, not based on what everyone else around us. So I'm so grateful you shared that about your uncle and you said he, he passed at 36. How old yeah, were he you? Passed, I was I 10 or 11. That must've been a really hard time for you. It was not a good time. Uh, I got actually very, very ill. Uh, my, my response to his loss was horrific, kind of went mute for two months. I ended up developing bleeding ulcers in my stomach and then was, uh, I think I was like five, four and weighed like 95 pounds. Cause I just wouldn't eat. Like I had a horrific response to that death. I mean, because it sounds like he helped you find out who you are today. And I can, I can hear that within you today. I, I'm sure he's very proud of that. I have a question for you because I want to get into the awesomeness that you do right now with women. What helped you turn the corner from when you were in your early 20s, high school, hating yourself to getting to a place where you have so much strength and wisdom and your viewpoint is the way it is? 
honestly, my husband, um, a lot of high school and college, again, I was kind of dealing with, and I've always said this, my parents have this picture of who I am as a person and I don't fit that picture and they don't quite understand who I am. Like my dad will be like, oh, I can predict what your mom and your sister are going to do, but I can never predict what you're going to do. And I'm like, well, that's because you've, you've not really, and I love my family and our relationship has gotten a lot better, but it's because of my husband that they've gotten a lot better, which is one of the reasons they don't like him. So it, it got to a point where my mom was belittling me for something I had gone on a different religious path than what I had been raised. I was finding my own voice and they were attacking me, just heavily belittling, nagging because I drink. I, I, I'll have occasionally have alcohol, like one drink a month socially, but that's too much because basically my entire family's dry. So perspective, I was a drunk then, or, oh, I was okay going to a bar, clearly an alcoholic. And it was just those type of perceptions or because I had premarital sex, I'm a whore and I've had premarital sex with more than one per oh, absolutely horrible person because I embraced my own sexuality. Like, and my husband wrote a five page single space letter to my parents and basically went, look, you're pushing your daughter away if you continue on this path. And that's how our relationship changed. But it was my husband's encouragement of, of, why, why are you listening to them? Mm. Why, why, when you go see them, do you have to dress and wear your makeup a different way than what you do when you're away from them? It was pointing out these inconsistencies of this false person I had built, this mask I had constructed to appease them. And because I didn't, couldn't live in that mask daily, I hated myself. And it was him going, look, you don't need that mask. You don't need it. I hate, I don't like you when you wear that mask. I like you for who you are and him just kind of helping break down that barrier helped me find more self-worth and more love of myself. It sounds like he helped you see the mirror the way that he saw it. And you were like, wow, I didn't even, you know, as a parent, I can tell you that when you speak about this, I'm really, I'm very conscious of this with my kids and I try really, really hard, but there's always more I want to do. And I want all parents listening to understand that we can really fuck up our kids if we don't just let them be who they are. If we stop telling them this is what's expected of you, like it's little things. I talk to my boys all the time about you don't have to have this path that is laid out for you for after you leave school. Like you can go and do all these other things. There's the huge world out there. College is not the only option. I want them to understand that this concept, you know, since they were teeny babies, I would talk about if you end up getting married, whoever your husband or wife is, I can't wait to meet them. Like I never wanted this concept of what I think or what was told to me to be what is normal air quote to be what they needed to be. And I love that you were able to find that. It was not easy mm -hmm. and we'll still have some conflicts, some issues, but it's definitely one of those things where now I see how I am here by myself as who I am. And yes, occasionally when I go home, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to appease them. But I recognize that I'm doing that for them. And it has no effect on who I am or my worth as a person the way it used to. How did you get into the field you're in? 
So I grew up always knowing I wanted to help people. I wanted to be in the medical field. I mean, growing up and watching Uncle Ricky go to all his appointments, all the different things like that kind of experience got me interested in the medical field. Then watching Grey's Anatomy, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a surgeon. And then I shadowed, I started shadowing providers and I shadowed a group of surgeons and realized, oh, this is, Grey's Anatomy is not, (laughs) is not realistic. I didn't know where I wanted to go. So I started to look at other aspects of healthcare and I found chiropractic, which I also have my emergency medical technician's license. So I'm an EMT. So when something really bad happens, that's outside the care of a chiropractor. I also have that to help manage and care for them and decide where they need to go for their initial assessment to fully recover. Like there are nuances to what I get to do that's beyond just being in a clinical setting, which is so much more interesting and so much more healthy for my ADHD brain. I need lots of things going on, lots of different things. And this has allowed me to build this crazy, because this is what fills my cup. This is what makes me happy. I have a question. What have you learned from being around these professional athletes and taking care of them? Have you learned anything that you could pass on to us about strength? It's really, it's a mindset. The best athletes in the world have a mindset and this can be applied to business. This can be applied to everyday life. And it's the mindset of success finding and doing what you have to do to reach that success. So maybe that's getting up and going to the gym at 5 a.m. because you have to go to work all day. And by the time you get home, you know, you'll be too tired or you'll have to get your kids to different activities. So that's when they go and do their workouts. Maybe it's Uh, finding that balance with their spouse to take their kids so they can work out after work. But it's having that voice to have the mindset to advocate for themselves. And I find with a lot of women that aren't like a lot of the women I work with on my teams have kids and other women are like, "How, how can they do that? How can they find the time? And it's like, because they, they're not trying to do everything. They use their partner to be a parent as well Mm -hmm. to the child so that they find balance so that they can also do the activities that they want. And I think that's something that we need to shift societally is that we shouldn't praise men because they changed a diaper. It's their goddamn child. They should be changing the diaper because it's their baby. Thank you. Did you bring a quote today? So one of my favorite humans is Leonardo da Vinci. Mm. And I really haven't, he has so many phenomenal quotes, but one of my favorite ones, it's super simple, which learning never exhausts the mind. And why do you like that? I like it because I never, I, I want to be the free forever learner. I never want to stop. I never want to get to a position where I think I'm the be all end all and I have nothing else to learn because at that point I failed. Yes. And so there, there's always some components. I mean, off, you can't see this, but I have a stack of books right behind me that I'm working through right now because I got a new class for the summer and I want to make sure that I deliver the highest quality of information to my students. So learning never exhausts the mind. The more we it. learn, 
we're not going to, our brain's not going to wear out. We're not going to fatigue it. It's going to make it stronger. It's going to make it better. I love it. Are you ready for lightning round? Yes. If you could go back to yourself in your early twenties and to high school, when you were struggling, what would you say to her right now? If you had a few minutes, get out of your head, get out of your head and understand you are worth it. And you are successful in terms of your judgment about your worth. What would you like to let go of? I would like to let go of some of the negative thoughts of I haven't done enough today. Mm. I think that's, it's a drug that we have is that we need to do more. Why are you not doing enough? It's not enough. What would your 80 year old self say to you now? Get sleep. (laughs) What is beautiful to you? Nature, just outside nature, spring storms, the renewal that it brings. Mm. What does it mean to be a strong woman? I think this definition varies for everyone, but for me, it's having a voice, stepping up to the table and not shutting up when told to. I love that so much. What do you want others to say about you? I want them to say that I never gave up and that I advocated for my people. Hmm. Last two. If you found out that you have six months left, what would you do with the rest of your time? I'd hop on a plane and circle the world. <laughs> Where's the first place you want to go? Uh, I would love to cross the pond and go to the Louvre. Ooh. Last words. You get one piece of advice for every woman that's listening to hear. What do you want to say? Don't shut up. I love that. Where can we find you? Where can we listen to you? I am on Instagram at MacP underscore clinic. If you want to hear more from me, I have my own podcast, the Mac Performance Podcast, which is a health and wellness podcast that will whiplash you back into health as we jump from topic to topic each week. I will include that in our show notes. I cannot wait to check it out. You've been an absolute joy to be around. I can't even tell you how grateful I am. Oh, thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate, review, and share with your lady friends. If you're ready to do the work it's going to take to love yourself as you are, your body, your worth, and your voice, please reach out to me at carlyisrael.com and we can connect. I offer one-on-one private coaching virtually, as well as small intimate groups. It's going to take a ton of work and a lot of commitment on your part, but I promise to be in your corner. I hope you have an amazing day. And I hope you spread the light you feel with others so they can feel it too. Mm-hmm.